Would you please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16. Several reasons why Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, and we have addressed so many of them already. But right now, we are in the portion of the Scriptures where Paul is being forced to defend his apostleship. Paul did not like to do this. It was a very awkward thing for him to have to commend himself, but he was forced to, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. Um, I would like to read to you just a short little section of Scripture from Acts, so if you'll just hold where you're at, and I'm going to read this to you. Um, This is just a great example that has been given to us by Paul of what a true shepherd what a, a, an apostle of Christ look like as opposed to false apostles and wolves. And I think it's good for you to have this in your mind as we go throughout this sermon. So I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 20. Paul had been in Ephesus for three years. This is the longest he had been at any church he planted except for Corinth. He, he was at Corinth for about a year and a half. And as he was leaving Ephesus, he wanted to speak with the elders. And this is the instructions that he gave those who were overseeing the flock there in Ephesus. And this is a model for us as a, as a church, a New Testament church, and for shepherds in particular. So I want you to kind of have this in your mind. So in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, it says that from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I also lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of Jews, how I kept nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ." So that was Paul's heart. He was a true shepherd, a true apostle of Christ. And there's so much more as you read on through that chapter that Paul addresses as a, uh, as a, a shepherd of the flock. And we just don't have time to go into that. But on the flip side, he also warns them about wolves that would come. So in verse 29 of that same chapter, he says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So that was the heart of a true shepherd. Paul didn't hold anything back from them that was profitable. He taught them, he declared to them the entire counsel of God's Word He warned them. He protected them. He tried to caution them against the reality that when he left, wolves would most certainly come in. And not only that, they would rise up from within the congregation. So Paul not only demonstrated a true shepherd, but he warned against false teachers. And there's a quote by Martin Luther, and I'm just going off the fly with this one. I don't even uh, have it, so I'm going to paraphrase. But he was saying that, It's one thing to teach and lead, but if you don't warn people, you're not doing your entire duty because what good is it to build a foundation brick by brick if someone comes in and just tears it back down? So we want to be warning people, warning uh, the, the saints of the danger of false teachers and false teaching and wolves, right? That is a, a very real part of pastoral ministry, and that's what we see happening with Paul. 
especially right here in Corinth, because as he has departed from Corinth, just as he had warned the Ephesian church, the same thing has happened in Corinth. Uh, the the self-styled false apostles have come in and they've begun to try to discredit Paul. If they can discredit Paul, the messenger, they can discredit his message. And that ultimately is what is hanging in the balance here. So Paul is addressing this and he's addressing it seriously. And I'll be honest with you, this is probably one of the most scathing, sarcastic, um, at times, passages in the New Testament. Paul really lets them have it. Um, it's a difficult passage. It's hard to understand as you kind of read through it. So I'll do my best to simplify, simplify it as, as we go. Um, but as I said, Paul is um, defending himself against false teachers. And what is interesting to me is that Paul boasts in his weakness more than anything else. He was a man who had credentials, credentials that he could certainly call upon, but he was much more confident boasting in his weakness. And we're going to address that more towards the end of the text. And really that's where I'm going to bring it home. That's where I think it applies to myself and all of us so that you don't uh, think that this is just a text entirely about pastors and shepherds. Uh, it, it connects to us too. So if you'll just bear with me, we'll, we'll get there. So let me read our text and then pray and we'll dig in. 2 Corinthians 11:16. I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool that I also may boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. To our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren... In weakness and toil and sleeplessness often and hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and nakedness. Besides these things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. 
That was a lot. All right, let me pray for us. Father, we love you, and we have come to this place to learn more about you and uh, learn how to please you, Lord, and we've come to receive from you, God, because we all acknowledge that we need you, and uh, we are weak, but Lord, when we are weak, that is when we are strong, and uh, that's what we're going to be learning about today, Father, so I just ask that you would be glorified, um, that your spirit would be so very uh, real to us right now that we would know that you're here and that you are moving among your people and that you would speak to us, Father, in a very special way. I pray that I would uh, represent your word well, that I would speak with fear and accurately and with love and conviction. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so let's dig in. Verses 16 through 18. I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. Okay, so as I said, Paul considered a foolish thing to commend himself to the Corinthians. He was far more comfortable boasting in his weaknesses. And we'll see that a little further down. And Paul is not seeking to glorify himself. He's not looking for a pat on the back. He's not looking for accolades. But he's seeking to validate his ministry. Because as I said earlier, that's what hangs in the balance. If they discredit Paul, they discredit his message, and they receive a false message, a false gospel. And Paul is very aware of this. So he is willing if need be, to defend himself for their sake. And that's what is happening. And he's being very facetious. He's being sarcastic because it's ridiculous in his mind that he would even need to do such a thing. But he's going for it. Verse 19, he says, For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face, to our shame I say that we were too weak for that. But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. All right, so Paul is now turning his attention directly to the Corinthians. He'll deal with the false apostles in a moment. But he starts with this uh, sarcasm that I spoke of where he says clearly you guys are so wise obviously you're so wise since you tolerate abuse and then he goes on to name specifically some of the things that they are tolerating and one is, is that they bring you into bondage now we get some indication in this text that the false apostles are uh, Judaizers I don't know if you've ever heard that term but the book of Galatians uh, deals with these guys in particular, they would say, okay, yes, we believe in Jesus. Jesus is good. But you also need to keep the, the Old Covenant. You need to keep the Old Testament rituals. Um, Jesus is not enough. And obviously, that's a problem. If you ever say that something plus Jesus, you're saying that the cross is not enough and it becomes a works-based uh, salvation, it's another gospel, it's a false gospel. And, and it would appear that um, that's who these guys are because this phrase here brings you into bondage. 
Paul actually uses that exact same phrase in Galatians where we know he was talking about the Judaizers. He goes on to say that they devour you. You put up with it if someone devours you. And the same phrase is used in Luke. Jesus is speaking about the scribes, right? Um, saying that they were taking advantage of widows even. Widows were, um, they were fragile. You know, their, their husband was gone and uh, they were easy prey for the, for the wolf. And Jesus even accused the, uh, the scribes of this very thing, devouring widows' houses, their livelihood. Um, he goes on to say, Paul says that if you, uh, you let someone take from you to take advantage of you, they just give themselves over to that. Um, he says, if someone exalts themselves, and, and that means to lord over. So we see that these false apostles are taking advantage of the Corinthian believers taking from them, that they are attempting to bring them back into bondage by subjecting them to the Old Testament covenant, which nobody could keep, and that they would devour, they would take from them, they would take advantage of them, they would lord over them. And Jesus specifically said not to do this. Leaders are not to lord over. We are to lovingly lead and, and uh, have people follow us. You understand? Um, that's the thing about the shepherd. He would lead and the sheep would follow. We don't have a, a cattle prod. We don't push people. Um, I heard a, a quote one time. I really liked it. The guy said, if I put a gun to your head, I might convince you to do something you wouldn't normally do. But that's not leadership. That's power. Right? I have forced you into something. And that's what's going on here. They were uh, they were exalting themselves and lording over these people. And Jesus said, it's not to be so with us. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That would be a true shepherd, a follower of Christ. And then he said, you go so far as to allow them to strike you on the face. That's just crazy to me. Public abuse. And again, we see that happen a couple times. You remember uh, when Jesus was in front of the, the uh, high priest? Uh, one of the guards standing nearby smacked him on the face, and the same thing happened to Paul. So you kind of see that happening in, amongst some of the leaders in Judaism. They, they will do that. Um, and it could be that they were doing that. At the least, it's just public humiliation. Just belittling people, humiliating them. Uh, and Paul said, you know what? We were too weak for that. I'm sorry. If that's what you esteem as great, if that's what you tolerate and you're so wise, forgive us for not being able to do that. I guess we were just too weak. Do you see the sarcasm in that? I hope so. And then he goes on in verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. Alright, so now he's turning his attention directly to the false apostles. And again, this is one of the reasons why I think he's speaking of Judaizers because they seem to be very prideful in the fact that they are Hebrews and Israelites and the seed of Abraham. Now, Paul has already denied that these were legitimate ministers of Christ. He's made that very clear. But as I've said already, there was still a small faction in the church who believed that these guys were legit and that Paul was, 
was uh, fake, and he still had to um, convince otherwise. But Paul is stating here that in every way his ministry is superior. In every way. So how does he do that? Well, let's look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, From the Jews five times I have received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So it would seem that Paul's credentials are suffering. And he's pointing to his weakness. Um, I just want to kind of work through this a little bit to bring some clarity to what this is. He says five times he received 40 stripes minus one. So they would whip somebody 39 times because in the Old Testament law, you were not allowed to uh, flog someone more than 40 times uh, before it became a, a criminal act. So that they would not be considered merciless, they would just uh, whip 39 times. And Paul got that five different times. Three times he was beaten with rods. Um, this still goes on today, especially in the Middle East. You'll see people who are being publicly uh, beaten with, with rods for different things. It's pretty vicious. Paul was stoned. Paul, he was stoned one time. Paul had four missionary journeys three that we know for a fact that are recorded in Acts, and the first missionary journey, he got stoned in Galatia. All right, so his first time traveling through where Timothy was from, I believe it was Lystra, and um, he actually got stoned. And we think it could be that was the point in which he had a heavenly vision, which we're going to see in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Some people believe he actually died at that point, saw heaven, and came back. Not everyone holds that view, but nonetheless, um, how's that for your first missions trip? You know? It says that he was three times shipwrecked and stranded in the ocean. Now, the account in the end of Acts where he was shipwrecked would actually make the fourth time. That hasn't happened yet. So four times he had been shipwrecked. Just imagine that. That's scary, is that not? And then he says, in perils of my own countrymen and robbers. Uh, I know we all have heard the, the story of the Good Samaritan and the guy was passing through Jericho and then some robbers came upon him. That was very common. There were so many areas in that, that land where uh, robbers were uh, very heavy and they would fall on you in a heartbeat. And Paul, uh, he, he had to wade through that, right? So he was in danger from his own countrymen. He was persecuted by Gentiles and Jews alike. So the Jews would chase him out and they would persecute him, but then so would the pagans. And there would be riots and mobs and he would get beaten. So he wasn't safe on either side. It says that he was sleep-deprived and had extreme exhaustion. That, you know, that's hard. I mean, we, 
we miss a little bit of sleep and our life is over with, you know. And that was kind of his life. He was a sleep-deprived man, extreme exhaustion, starving and dehydrated, without food, without drink. He was underclothed and freezing cold. Imagine that. That was Paul's credentials. That's, a, that's when you know that you are a called man of God. When you can do that and you still press on for the sake of the flock. Paul didn't abuse the flock. Paul didn't receive from the flock or take from the flock. He gave his life away. He gave to the flock in every single way. And his life was so difficult, so extremely difficult at times, but he pressed on. Now, above all of this, it says that what really falls upon me is my deep concern for the church. I want to read a quote to you guys from Alan Redpath on this phrase, what comes upon me daily. Now, I've just read off all these crazy things that Paul experienced, but what trumps all of that is his daily concern for the church, that which comes upon me. And this is what it says, I cannot possibly convey to you adequately in the English language the force of that statement. I tried to picture it in terms of being smothered under a blanket or being attacked and crushed by some great animal. For he could not have used a stronger word when he said, in effect, that which bears me down, that which is upon me as an intolerable load, that which is a burden, that which is something that I can never shake off day or night. It is with me always. I have no vacation for it ever. It is upon me daily, the care, the compassion, the concern for all the churches. That is a true shepherd. That is the heart of a true pastor that he would suffer all those things for those that he loved so dearly, those for whom Christ died. But that even above all of that, what, what beat that was his concern, his care, his grief for the church. Verse 29. All right, now we're going to shift a little bit. I'm going to kind of move into what I was saying about um, being qualified in weakness. Verse 29, Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble, and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes, with a garrison desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. All right, so Paul says, Who is weak and I am not weak? Paul felt people's weakness. When those whom he loved were weak, he felt that. And then he said, Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? When, when his sheep were stumbled, when they were led astray, he burned with wrath. He had a holy anger that rose up in him because he could not stand to see someone stumbled. And that's in keeping with Jesus. What did Jesus say? He said, if someone stumbles one of these little ones, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and tossed into the sea. And so we see that in Paul. And then Paul kind of refers to this account. It's in Acts chapter 9 where he was let down out of a wall with a basket. This is kind of like a crowning example for him. Uh, of humiliation and weakness and being chased out. But notice with me the verse where it says, 
Hold on, let me just flip over here. Sorry. One second. Verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. I like that. Paul was much more glad to boast in his weakness than he was his credentials. He was much more comfortable to boast in his weakness. And we see that consistently through his writings. 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. So Paul said, Praise God, Christ came to save sinners, and I'm the worst. I am the worst of them. Ephesians 3.8, he says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So here Paul refers to himself as less than the least of the saints. He is the chief of sinners and the least of saints. And why did he carry this heavy, this heavy uh, burden? 1 Corinthians 15.9 for I am the least of the, apostle, of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul carried that, that weight. He considered him less than the saints, the least of the apostles, the chief of sinners. If he was going to boast in anything, he would boast in Christ and he would boast in his weakness. So he was qualified in his weaknesses more than anything else. So I'm going to close with just a couple of scriptures and I would like for you guys to turn with me so we can read these together. So I just want to look at three quick scriptures and I'm not going to go verse by verse through them, so don't worry. We're about to wrap this thing up. But I just really want you to see this. So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. So just flip over one chapter. Verse 8. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Paul had some sort of thorn in the flesh, some sort of weakness, infirmity. We could speculate about what it is, but we won't go there right now. Verse 9, And the Lord's response, And He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, infirmities, sorry, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul understood. His weakness drove him to, to depend on Christ in all of his struggles. Paul understood that when he was weak, he was truly strong because all the struggles that he had drove him to Christ. Do we understand that? That's the opposite of self-sufficiency. You know, I, growing up, my dad, if you ever tried to talk to him or ask him uh, kind of what's going on with him, he would say, nothing that I can't handle. Nothing that I can't handle. That would be the response you would get every time. And here, Paul... He doesn't do that. He's like, I'm weak. I am needy. I can't handle it. But guess who can? Christ. And I will turn to Him and I will pour that out at His feet. Because God has said that 
He cares for us. We can cast our cares upon Him. We can come to Him with our burdens. And Paul did that in his personal life and his personal struggles. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3 verse 7. When Paul was a Pharisee, according to the Jew, Jewish standards uh, and, and the Pharisees, he had it all together. He really had a long list of credentials. And he really thought that he was strong and that he was ahead of the game. But then when he came to Christ, he realized that those things that he thought actually had him ahead of the game had him negative in the account. There are accounting terms in this, this text. So there's a gain column and a loss column. And we're going to see that he thought he was in the gain column, but he wasn't. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things as loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish. I won't go into what that word rubbish means, but use your imagination. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. So Paul's weakness drove him to depend on Christ's righteousness. Paul thought that he was a righteous man. And then he realized that he was actually uh, completely bankrupt. He had no righteousness. And he realized that he was weak. And that drove him to depend upon Christ's righteousness and to depend upon His strength, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. So Paul's weakness drove him to Christ in his own struggles, Paul's weakness drove him to Christ to depend on Christ's righteousness. And then lastly, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 All right. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul's weakness drove him to depend upon God's power and ministry. Paul came, he was weak, he was trembling. He did not come with power and speech or wisdom. And he said he did that knowing that they would truly experience the power of God. They would not walk away saying, wow, look at Paul, what a powerful speaker he is, or oh, how wise he is but they would realize that that was a demonstration of the power of God. Paul's weakness drove him to depend upon Christ's righteousness, upon Christ's grace and his own personal struggles, 
and to depend upon God's power in His own ministry. That pretty much sums it up, does it not? That sums it up. Paul was in every way dependent upon the Lord. He realized that he was a weak man. And that was his credentials, guys. That was what qualified him. Hardship, difficulty, all that, his weakness, because it made him dependent upon Christ and it demonstrated the power of Christ. So we're qualified in our weakness. Amen? Whatever we're going through, whatever it may be in your personal life, in your walk with the Lord, in ministry, realize that when you're weak, you're actually strong. When you're weak, you're strong. Why? Because it drives you to the cross. It drives you to the feet of Jesus. And that's true strength, my friends. When we are self-sufficient or we think that we have it all together or we think that it's nothing that we can't handle, dead wrong. Dead wrong. That is weakness. So with that, I want to go ahead and move over into our communion time. And let me just simply say this. This represents the flesh of Christ being broken for us, the, the bread. And the juice represents His blood that was shed on our behalf for the believer. And this was something very special that the Lord gave to His church to observe regularly. It's a time when we come together and we consider what Christ has done. We meditate on the cross. We examine our lives. We pray to the Lord, is there something that needs to go? It's a time of confession. It's a time of repentance. It's a time of worship. You know what, guys? It's a time of acknowledging that we are weak and that we need Him. Not just a little bit, all of Him. I need everything that He has for me. And so I come to the communion table and I take of the, the bread and the cup and I say, Lord, I need You. I need Your sacrifice. I need uh, forgiveness. I need Your grace. I need Your power. I am weak, but You are strong. And that's what this represents. So I want you to consider that as we partake of communion today. Thank You, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed.